This morning I invite you to draw your sword, turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. As this morning we continue our studying the gospel of Luke in a sermon series entitled Blessed Assurance. This morning I want to speak to you about who can be saved. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you, he, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God, for indeed there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. This is the second time in Luke's gospel where the author tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The first takes place in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Here in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, we are told that Jesus was going from village and town, teaching and preaching about the gospel as he made his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is the God-man, and he is on a divine mission. He knows that he's on a crash collision course with Calvary. He is on his way to the sacred city of Jerusalem, knowing full well that there he will die, and by his death, he'll give life to anyone who believes. Along the way, there was an anonymous inquisitor who had a fabulous question. Sir, are only a few going to be saved? What makes this question so tremendous is that when you and I understand that according to first century Judaism, it was believed and taught that all of Israel would partake in salvation that most Jewish people believed they were going to heaven simply because they were born in the right place and in the right race. Because they were children of Abraham, because they were Israelites, because they were Jews, they thought they would automatically go to heaven. Now, Jesus routinely talked about the kingdom of God. In fact, his preaching ministry is summed up as repent for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is synonymous with salvation in heaven, Christ's rule and reign upon your life. And Jesus oftentimes taught about the kingdom of God. But he never insinuated that all of Israel would get an automatic bid. He taught like no other rabbi taught. 
he didn't toe the company line. He didn't just say what everybody else was supposed to say, what everybody else taught. No, Jesus had a message that was countercultural. Jesus had a message that was counterintuitive. And so this man has been picking up what Jesus has been putting down. He's been listening, and he asked the wonderful question, Sir, are only a few going to be saved? If you were to look at the preaching ministry of Jesus, you would realize that Jesus consistently taught that only those who have faith will enter heaven. And faith comes by hearing. So you need to be careful how you listen to Jesus. You may recall one of those dandy little sermons that's tucked away in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus compared people to different types of soil. Jesus said some people are as hard as rock. The word of God, the gospel, it just bounces right off of them. And still other individuals are as shallow as Palestinian dirt. It seems that they accept the gospel initially, but then after a time of testing, when the heat of persecution uh, comes upon them, they, they wither away like a plant that has no depth, has no moisture. Still, Jesus said there are other people. Uh, people like soil that is thorny. They too receive the word of God, receive the gospel of truth. They receive it and it looks as if they're going to grow and blossom in the faith. But they also have some competing allegiances in their life. They are preoccupied about worldly wealth. They're preoccupied about the pleasure of life. They are overwhelmed with the worries of this world. And all those things choke out their obsession for Jesus. Jesus says, but ultimately there are a few who are like good soil. They hear the word, they retain it, they receive it, they apply it. They produce a bumper crop a hundred times over. Now, if you just hear that sermon on face value, you have to conclude that Jesus is not saying that all people are going to heaven. It seems as if he's saying that really only one out of four really get it. That's not 100%. That's a far cry from 100%. That's only 25% of the people that really get the gospel because the gospel really gets them. Jesus said elsewhere in a sermon Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown or deny before the angels of God in heaven. So it would seem that Jesus is saying that not only, not all people are going to heaven, but only those who confess Jesus as Christ. Do you want to be saved? You must respond in faith. Faith that confesses Jesus as Christ. But if you look closer at the teaching ministry of Jesus, Jesus would also say this, that not only must you have a faith that confesses Jesus as Christ, but that faith must lead to genuine repentance. Jesus said elsewhere, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners unto repentance. What is repentance? Well, it includes both trusting and turning. That you trust Jesus as Savior and you turn from your wicked sins. If there's trusting, inevitably there will be turning. You cannot have turning unless you have already trusted. Trusting and turning must go together in the portrait of repentance. 
You can't say, I trust Jesus, but never turn from your disobedience. And you can't have the power to turn from your disobedience without first trusting Jesus as Savior. And Jesus consistently taught that that faith which confesses Jesus as Christ must lead to genuine repentance. We don't have to go very far to see evidence of this. It's right there in Luke 13 in the very opening verses of the 13th chapter, where Jesus says in Luke 13, verse five, unless you repent, you too will perish. To perish is a word that means to be eternally separated from God. Not just an earthly death, but an eternal spiritual death. And the only way that you and I can keep from perishing is through repentance. Repentance is an about face. It's where we no longer pledge allegiance to sinful self, but we pledge allegiance to the sovereign Savior. And Jesus consistently said in his sermons, you want to be saved? You must have faith that confesses Jesus Christ. That faith must lead to genuine repentance where there is trusting and turning. But also if you listen closely to Jesus, Jesus will say that that repentance must lead you to authentic transformation. That repentance must lead you to transformation. Once again, you don't have to go very far. In Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse six, Jesus gives one of those well-spun, off-the-cuff, spontaneous little ditties that we call parables, and it's a fantastic story. And in that story, Jesus is showing what he expects of people who come to him in faith and repentance, and the end result is transformation. Jesus says there was a man, a rich man, who had a vineyard, and in that vineyard he wanted to plant a fig tree. And so he came to examine the fruit of the fig tree. And when he got there, there was no fruit on the fig tree. And the master called the farmer over, And he said, for three years now, I've come to examine this tree, and there's been absolutely no evidence, absolutely no fruit. Cut it down and burn it. It's taking up valuable soil space. It's sucking up the nutrients that need to go someplace else. You cut that tree down, and you burn it. And the farmer says to the master, please, give it one more year. Give it one more year. I will cultivate. I will fertilize. Next year, you come and examine and see if that tree doesn't bear fruit. And then, if it doesn't bear fruit, then we'll cut it down. And that seemed to be pretty satisfactory to the rich farmer. What's the point of Jesus? Why does he tell that story? He tells a story to show you and to show me that Jesus is patient, but he's not a pushover. You cannot call yourself saved. I cannot call myself saved and go year after year after year after year and demonstrate no fruit of authentic transformation. If we are going to be in God's kingdom, we've got to respond with faith, faith that confesses Jesus as Christ. That's got to move us to repentance where there is genuine trusting and turning in Jesus and that ought to lead us to authentic transformation. This is what causes this man to ask the question, now wait a minute, time out, are you trying to tell me only a few people are going to be saved? Apparently, this listener had been listening well. Apparently, he had heard the soil sermon. Apparently, he had heard the fig tree sermon. 
Apparently, he had heard numerous sermons of Jesus, and he deduced and concluded, now wait a minute, Jesus is not saying all Israelites are going to heaven. Jesus is not saying that we all got an automatic bid. Jesus is saying something drastically different. In fact, he's insinuating that not all of us are going to get in. Sir, are you saying that only a few will be saved? Now, Jesus knows that salvation is God's idea. It's a grace gift. It's a God gift. It, it, it initiates with God. It is sustained by God. It is accomplished by God. It's not that one day you wake up and just want to be saved. No, God moves upon your heart and awakens inside of you a desire to be saved. All of salvation is initiated by God. And in this little story that Jesus gives this man, you see evidence of that because salvation is described as an open, narrow door. And it's God who opens it. And it's open from heaven's perspective. And you know that God is the one who opens it because he is the only one who has authority to close it. And the one who has authority to close it is the only one who has authority to open it. So salvation has been opened unto us through God by way of an open, narrow door. But Jesus also knows that while salvation is initiated by God, there is a component of human responsibility you got to do something to be saved. And so Jesus wants this man, wants all of us to understand what is the something that we must do in order to be saved. So he says this, man, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That word effort means work, struggle, strain. Make every effort. It's just going to... It's going to be tough. You've got to work at it. You've got to work it out. You've got to work it through. You've got to make every effort, struggle, and strain to get through that narrow door. Then he gives a word of caution. Many will try to enter. They won't be able to. This is not to be discouraging to this man. It's to be clarifying to this man. He wants this man to know it's not just effort and effort alone. It's not just doing something to get into God's kingdom. It's doing the right thing to get into God's kingdom. So make every effort, but many people will try and they won't be able to. What's he insinuating? He's insinuating that many people will make an effort to enter heaven and it's a bogus way to enter heaven because it never measures up to God's standard. For example, there'll be some will try to enter that narrow door through good works. They think to themselves, if I do more good than bad, it will tip the scale in my favor and I'll be able to get in. God will be obligated to let me into his good heaven. If I am a good person and I do good things and I do just as much good as anybody else on my right or on my left, in front of me or behind me, as long as I'm a pretty good person, then a good God has to let a good person like me into his good heaven. But my friend, there's not enough good you can do that would merit your own salvation. Our salvation is not by human merit, it is by divine mercy. It is not by our goodness, it's by his grace that we are saved. We are thoroughly and completely sinful and there's no way we can remove that tainted dirt 
on our soul. There's no way we can be good enough to get into God's kingdom. There'll be others who will make an effort to get in, and they will hope and believe that just because they have religious affiliation, that will let them into heaven. They're hoping and believing that somehow their name written on a church membership roll is synonymous with their name written on the Lamb's Book of Life. My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. Just because your name is written on a membership roll, which is man-made, is no guarantee that your name is written on the Lamb's Book of Life, which is written not only by a good man, but a God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants this man to understand it's not just because of religious affiliation that somebody's going to get into heaven. There are still others that try to work the American system, the system that's so alive in our culture today, the culture that says as long as you are true to yourself, as long as you're honest with your faith system, as long as you follow the lead of your faith, then God will surely let you in to his heaven. And so you can try any faith system that you want so long as you work it well, so long as you're honest with yourself, so long as you're true with your identity, whatever that identity may be. But God says there's only one way to get into my heaven. In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus uses this quote in John chapter 10 when he says, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So it's not that you just try to be good, do more good than bad. It's not that somehow you have a religious affiliation, your name's on a membership roll. It's not that you just try to work your own system in order to get into heaven. No, the only way you can get in is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells this man, make every effort, but many will try not be able to. But I want you to know that entrance into my kingdom comes from faith that confesses Jesus Christ. Repentance that leads to trusting and turning. There is not only the confession, not only the repentance, but there is genuine transformation in your life. My friend, um, Jesus did not come to promote a religion. Jesus came to provide a relationship so that you can know God and so that God can know you. If you die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will go to a very real, horrific, horrible place called hell. If you die without knowing Christ, there's only one place you can go, and that place is hell. And if a person ends up in hell, when a person ends up in hell, that person has no one to blame but himself or herself. It's not God's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not your pedigree's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not a neighbor's fault. It's your fault. The door of salvation is wide open. And you have to come through on His terms and in His time. 
You've got to come through. You've got to work your way through. You've got to struggle and strain your way through. You've got to come through. For there are many uh, possible ways according to the society and the culture. But Jesus says, I've narrowed it down for you. There's only one. And it's only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship, then you confess him as Lord. And because of that relationship, you repent of your sin. And because of that relationship, undoubtedly, you are transformed into a very fruit-bearing new creation of God and without that then you will not go to heaven you will not be saved you will go to a very real place a horrible place called hell and I don't want any of you to go there this is not a message that builds the large American church in fact this is the message that the large American church runs from this is the message that there is a real God and real truth and real sin and the only way to deal with sin is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to come to him by faith as a spiritual beggar. That's the only way for you to go from death unto life. That is the message that builds the kingdom of God and I want you to know I'm more interested in building God's kingdom than building an earthly kingdom. Because this is the message that saves. Let me say it another way, and it's far more positive. When God opens your eyes unto his salvation, and when you respond in faith, and when you receive that grace gift from God, and by the Spirit of God, when you confess your sins unto the Lord and feel the uh, washing of your soul and removal of your sins, oh my friend, that's the most glorious experience you will ever have. And then as you walk with Him and talk with Him and submit yourself unto Him and you live out that rich relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is all victorious, that is all splendid, that is all majestic, then you will know the joy and the peace and the power of the resurrected Christ. Oh, my friend, all of that freedom is available for you today. All of that truth is available for you today. All of that of salvation is available to you today. And all you have to do is come through the open, narrow door. Oh, what liberty. Oh, what freedom. Oh, what joy, both now and forevermore. The good news is that the door is still open. I mean, right now, the door's wide open. I know it's narrow. I know that to say only through Jesus, that's the only way to be saved. I know that's narrow, but it's an open door, and it's open today for you. Don't waste the opportunity, because Jesus says that one day that door will be closed. That door's going to be closed one day. Whether it's at your personal death or a cosmic event where Jesus comes and receives the church, one day that door's going to be closed. And Jesus says, on the other side of the door, you'll be knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. And Jesus will say, I don't know you. Where you come from? Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. We, we, we were familiar with each other. We ate and drank together. We heard you teach in the streets and in the synagogue. 
What, what do you say? Uh, open the door. Let, let's do this all over again. Listen, we didn't know the door was going to be shut so quickly, so please open the door. Give us another go. Jesus says, I don't know you. I, I don't know where you come from. I can't blame God for not opening the door again. I mean, if a complete stranger, somebody unknown to you, knocks on your door, do you open it? If a strange phone number comes to your phone, do you answer it? Not always. If you get an email from someone you don't know, you don't open that in case of spam, right? I mean, I don't blame God. God says there's coming a day when the door's going to be shut and I'm never going to open it again. And that conversation that the people of the first century had with Jesus, countless others will have. When Jesus says, I don't know you, he means I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you personally. The word know means to share experiences together, to know intimately, to know thoroughly. Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't have any relationship with you. When he says, I don't know where you come from, he's saying, I, I, don't, I don't recognize you as belonging to me. The same conversation takes place countless times every day when the divine door is shut and people say, oh Lord, I thought I had more time. Wait a minute, I, I, I was familiar with you. I tweeted you some prayers. I liked you on Facebook, Jesus. I prayed, you'll remember this, Jesus, I prayed when my wife was in a wreck. I prayed when I needed to pass the algebra test. Oh boy, did I pray. I prayed when I needed that job. There were times that we talked to Jesus. We, we, we would fellowship together. We would hang out together occasionally. There were times I went to church. I went to church as much as the next guy. Jesus, I thought I had more time. You know when the, when the cruel allures of the devil that he convinces people you're okay with Christ. If there ever comes a day when you think maybe you're not okay with Christ, the devil comes in and says, you can make it right next week. Just make it right next week. And next week may never happen. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to be truthful. Jesus is communicating to this man. When this man asks the question, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus says, make every effort to enter in. Many will try various ways to get into heaven and it will not work. The only way to get in is through a personal relationship by knowing Christ, by belonging unto him, belonging through faith and repentance and transformation. That's the evidence that you belong to the Lord. This is the year of polls, right? It's an election year. There are polls that come out every day and two on Sunday. I mean, they come out all the time. I don't know how trustworthy these polls are, but I found a poll earlier, earlier this year that said 83% of Americans claim to be Christian. 13% of Americans claim no religious affiliation. That means that 4% of Americans claim every other religion in the country that's, a, that's in existence. Now, the 83% that claim to be Christian, that's a little lower than a decade ago. 
that can be kind of alarming. The 13% that claim no religious affiliation, that's a bit higher than it was in recent past. But you know what I get stuck on? I wonder, does Jesus recognize eight out of every ten Americans as belonging to him? Would Jesus recognize eight out of every ten people in any church across the land this morning as belonging to him? I stand in good company when I say this. Because I believe it was Billy Graham who said that there's a rude awakening for a lot of church people. Because, according to Dr. Graham, there are thousands of lost church members and lost deacons and lost Sunday school teachers and lost choir members and probably even some lost preachers along the way who are somehow, way, trying to get in outside of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to be very clear on this matter. He doesn't want to confuse the matter. That's why he says, I do not know you. I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you thoroughly. I don't know you personally. I don't have any shared experiences with you. Uh, I don't know where you come from. I don't recognize you as belonging unto me because the way you come unto me is through faith and through repentance and through transformation. That's how you know that you know that you know Christ is Savior and Lord. And then Jesus says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're in the kingdom. All the Old Testament prophets, they're in the kingdom. Well, how did they get in? They got in through Jesus Christ. Jesus is plan A. There ain't no plan B. Never has been a plan B. Never will be a plan B. Jesus is the efficient savior for Old Testament cats and New Testament cats. The only way anybody gets into heaven is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, people from the north, south, east, and west. The only way they're going to get in is by going through the open, narrow door. Those people before Calvary were looking unto Christ. Those of us after Calvary looking back at Christ. But the only way that any of us get into heaven is by gazing upon the glorious resurrected Christ, the one who was crucified, dead, and buried for us. This is the only message of the gospel. It's the only way that anybody can be saved. Amen. Jesus then ends with a proverb. He was last to be first. First will be last. He's not really intentionally trying to confuse the matter. But in Luke's gospel more than any other, there is the great reversal. Everything is topsy-turvy with Jesus. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to gain life, you got to lose it. It's Jesus who exalts the lowly and brings down the high and mighty. Sir, are you meaning to tell me that only a few are going to be saved? Are you meaning to tell me not everybody's going to heaven? Are you meaning to tell me that not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven are really going to heaven? Are you meaning to tell me only a few people are going to be saved? And Jesus doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to be secure in our salvation. He says, yes, only a few are going to be saved. But all those who confess Jesus Christ will be saved. All those who repent of sin, trusting and turning, they'll be saved. 
All those who demonstrate authentic transformation, they will be saved. All of those who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. You're asking the wrong question, man. You're asking the question, will a few be saved? The question ought to be, will you be saved? That's the question I ask you this morning. I don't ask the question, will a few be saved? No. Will you be saved? And the only way you can be saved It's by faith that confesses Jesus as Christ that leads to repentance of sin that finds its way in authentic transformation that demonstrates a real, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. I'm just saying we got to know the perfect one. Because like so many of you, what I can say this morning, I may not be all that I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. The question is not, will a few be saved? The question, the soul-searching question, the question that you must ask, and by the Spirit of God, I want you to answer it this morning. The question is not, will a few be saved? The question is, will you be saved? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give this invitation. Lord, this is not a sermon. This is not a message. This is not a passage to bring about confusion. This is a passage to bring about clarity. So I pray that people will clearly know how they stand with you. And Lord, we pray that the devil will be evicted from this place. That old devil tries to trick us that we're okay with you when sometimes we just might not be. And that devil tries to tell us that if we're not okay, we can do it later. No, today is the day of salvation. If there's someone here listening to my voice who has never acknowledged you as Christ, repented of sin, demonstrated transformation entered through the narrow gate the narrow door of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today I pray they will call unto you and that you will reach in and save them in Jesus name we pray amen